Welcome to the Index Podcast, hosted by Alex Kahaya. Plug in as we explore new frontiers with Web3 and the decentralized future. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Index, brought to you by The Graph. I'm your host, Alex Kahaya, and today we have Zen Yu Yong, CEO and co-founder of Web3Auth, a distributed private key management solution. The company's mission is to remove technical barriers and reduce the learning curve for digital ownership and identity for all users. Thank you for being on the show today. I, I'm super excited to talk to you and learn more about the product because I've been in talks with a lot of different Web2 brands and companies that they all say they need this. They all say they need something like this to onboard the masses, basically. I'm excited to just kind of learn more about you and how you guys got into building what you're building. No, thanks so much for having me, Alex. We've known each other for a little bit. Even before this, we spoke and we've been integrated into Holoplex as well. We basically try to allow both users as well as the applications and wallets that the users are on to have a better onboarding user experience. But it's not just onboarding. It's also a better key management experience holistically all the way forward. The standard of key management today is done via seed phrases. And seed phrases have a lot that people would want to improve on. First off, like it takes 10 to 15 minutes for a new user to really onboard into understanding the concepts and the mental overhead of understanding a seed phrase. And that's if they're technical. If they aren't, it's even longer, really. After that, it's notoriously easy to lose a seed phrase, isn't it? Quantifiably, about 20% of all Bitcoin in circulation has actually just been lost due to lost public-private key pairs. The biggest problem is just that it's a single point of failure. It's very analogous to a username password system that we might have had. Uh, like, you know how at the start of the Web2 industry, we had usernames and passwords, but it slowly kind of evolved into, you know, having OTPs, multi-factor accounts and all that. I think that's very similar to what we are trying to do, replacing seed phrases with basically like a multi-factor account of sorts. It's a major barrier for consumer adoption, I think, for like mass adoption. I think you and I, have, you know, we've been in the space long enough to really understand seed phrases and the importance of self-custody. Solutions like yours, I, I like them. They're elegant because or, or what you're working towards is that mass adoption, that capability but still maintaining the concepts and values of Web3, right? Like the ability to self-custody, the ability to off-ramp assets to something that's more technical if, if you get there, right? If you become educated and you know how to use those more technical products. If there are companies you can talk about, the ones that I'm working with right now, I can't actually talk about publicly yet. Um, I guess I can talk about like Campus Legends. They're like the NBA Top Shots in the NCAA and they have like a, mass consumer adoption appeal, right? And they need they need like a normal web login. They need fiat on ramps. They still want to enable people to use things like Phantom and we've done that for them. But, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to like, hear some examples of products you guys have worked with to integrate your solutions and how that's created as a user experience that people who aren't in crypto yet would be more used to. 100%. So, I mean, a lot of them, you actually probably wouldn't even realize that's crypto on the back end. So, for example, one of our main categories is really 
well, similar to the one that you presented, games and NFTs. And out of that, we've got like a whole list of them. Skyweaver is quite a notable one on Polygon. It's a TCG card game, very similar to Hearthstone. We powered their wallet there. My Crypto Heroes, one of the OG gaming uh, studios, which continues to build various different games. They use this as well. Laddercaster, I think that one's on Solana. In oh, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, they use Web3 off as well. Um, we're integrated in about uh, 400 live applications, uh, four to 500 live applications at this point in time with the Web3 off specific integration. Um, and a lot of those are really games and NFTs of uh, similar to the ones that we've just spoken about. Another demographic that we really cater to as well is also wallets. So we're integrated into some of the most popular different wallets and different ecosystems. Unfortunately, not Phantom yet, but we're on Binance Chrome extension, which is BSC's like official wallet. We're on uh, Kukai, which is Tezos's most popular wallet. We're on Kepler, which is Cosmos's most popular wallet. So a lot of these different ecosystems, and hopefully Phantom soon, or some of the other wallets, other notable wallets in the ecosystem, we're really keen to be uh, integrated on and are actively talking to as well. Yeah, so I mean, that's really the main two demographics that we've really been catering to. Let's dig into some of these a little bit. So Laddercaster, disclaimer, I'm an investor. I know those guys. I love their product and, and what they're building. Maybe we could use them as an example. Like, what does it look like inside their application to be integrated? When you approach kind of like the main page, it actually looks and feels just like a standard Web2 application. You've got your passwordless You've got your Google, you've got your Twitter, you've got your Facebook logins right up front. And you can use any of one of those socials or logins to connect to the application. After going through that process, honestly, the first onboarding phase is really just a one-click login. And you're basically into the application itself. And you can start looking around, playing around. The experience is super seamless. What happens behind the scenes to make it non-custodial in nature is that we actually use this thing called multi-party computation to split a user's key into multiple different parts. Now, I think you might be familiar with this already, Alex, but for the viewers, I'll kind of give a mention to it. Multi-party computation or threshold cryptography basically uh, splits a user's key into multiple different parts, and you require a threshold number of these parts to essentially reconstruct your public-private key pair. And with us, the initial two parts when the user logs in is the user's like social login that they've chosen and the user's device that they've used uh, to access the application. So two out of two parts are required to reconstruct the user's public-private key pair. And as the user kind of like uses the application more, either logging in more or like topping up or like transferring like assets into the application or wallet, we incrementally onboard them into the ecosystem by setting them up with more factors. And these factors could be like a backup email. It could be another device, for example, your phone or laptop. It could even be like a friend or a family member. Uh, helping you uh, manage your public-private key pair. So it's really just like a multi-factor account. And really, that's what we're trying to mimic because those flows are already intuitive to mainstream users today. I love the progressive backing up 
and introducing other ways to add layers of security. I think that's really, really cool. It, it, it may seem novel in the Web3 space, right? But it's... Uh... <laughs> no, it's normal, right? It's just the taking a page out of the Web2, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you and I were just talking about kind of where Olaplex is going and how we're, we're beginning to focus more and more on these components that enable developers to build applications faster. When you think about what those components should be, they're the same components that we've had in Web2. It's just different value systems built inside of it, right? It's just a, um, values like self-custody being open source, you know, being permissionless. These are all the things that are really important values for and, and changing the business models that people are building with. I'd be curious to learn more about that with you guys. Like, what are your thoughts on open source and Web3? What is the business model for, for your company? Can you share more about that? I, like you, probably think that open source is super important in any community, not just the Web3 community. I think it's open source has definitely pushed the boundaries of software further and faster than, you know, like just 10 years ago, when you like offered to use a open source code base or even like, yeah, 10 years, just 10 years ago, if you want to use open source code base in a company, they would go like, no, 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 no. We don't trust it. It's like outside maintainers, stuff like that. It needs to be vetted, audited. There was software to filter open source code coming into like enterprise software, especially at like the place I worked in previously, like Visa and stuff like that. But nowadays, like it's more or less, you can't keep up with the speed of development, building it yourself. It's just not possible. And you just face more technical issues in doing so. And that's because open source development is just so much healthier, so much faster, so much better for the community as well as like now enterprises are just willing to use it right out of the bat. I think that's no, or it's even stronger sentiment uh, in Web3, especially because it often is enforced and has to be that way. So business models, but that makes business models a little bit tricky, right? And I'm sure that you're thinking about this as well. Uh, with For us, a lot of our stack is also open source. Um, it's from the key management to the infrastructure behind that key management, which I'll talk more to after. But both of these are open source. And what is not open source for us is the implementation of the key management. So like the key, we, we separated, the way we did it is we segregated we segregated implementation of the key man. I mean, the, the the construction of the library of the key management and the so-called implementation of that library and the UI UX surrounding it as two separate things, right? Because UI UX can be like closed source, but everybody wants to see that the key management is open source. So that's how we've kind of like segregated it. And that's how kind of like equivalently kind of like the equity company captures um, or provides value and is able not to not to be super forkable and maintain like at least some of the services that we render in the short to medium term in a more equity fashion. So we charge based off monthly active users, just like Amazon Cognito or uh, Off Zero, and we are able to do this because the UI that we provide and the flows that we provide have value. If you do, if you just implemented the key management like library today. Although it's the bulk of the work of the brains as well, you'd still take two to three months to integrate. If you integrate the hosted solution, it takes like 
a day or two days, right? Or less, really. It can be done with a couple lines of code if you know what you're doing. So yeah, that's basically how we monetize in the short to medium term. In the longer term, though, we fully see ourselves as kind of a more decentralized product. We have actually kind of like a network um, which has been permissioned. It's been around for about two and a half years, and it really provides the infrastructure required for our key management to run. It used to be called the Taurus Network, but now it's basically called Off Network. Our full intention is to, you know, provide value, prove that there is value to different applications and wallets in the ecosystem and users as well, of course, and then eventually migrate to a fully permissionless system and, and, and for it to be incentivized via that in the medium to longer term. It's not too different from some of your other infrastructure chains. I'm not sure if you've heard of Pocket Network, which might be a more decentralized Infura, or you've heard of like the Graph, which is an indexing layer, or like Filecoin, which basically is trying to replace Amazon S3. The Off Network is just basically trying to replace Amazon Cognito. That's just the core difference there. Amazon Cognito, got it. I think the core principle around that is in Web3, you need to think about not just building equity structures, but just building ecosystems, right? Communities. And because everything's open source, the community is your only moat of sorts, if you're thinking about it from an entrepreneurial perspective. And I mean, that's how we think about it as well. That's exactly how I look at it as well. And I think at the end of the day, at some point, like even the UIs that you you guys have, like I understand why they're closed source today. But at some point, some of those UIs, you could probably probably open sourcing them with just like speed up adoption, you know, especially once you guys become more of a network focused, like open permissionless network. I mean, this is a progressive process. Like I'm, I'm not like a person who thinks that you have to, it's black and white. You know, I think every company's strategy is different for a lot of reasons. I also, I have a question about the, the closed source side. Let's say you were to license that GPL, would that make it hard for you for like other companies that are closed source to add those UI elements to their applications? So I mean the UI is completely closed source at this point in time. It's not even under a license. Yeah, but I mean if it was if it was GPL though, I'm just asking theoretically, like if you open sourced it, what would the impact be? Right, right. GPL versus MIT basically. Whether it's viral and for listeners out there, right, it's uh, the, the difference between these two licenses are really just that. One allows you to use MIT allows you to use it however you wish and gpl doesn't gpl if you use a gpl library you basically have to open source your code base as well you can't keep your code base closed source i mean for us honestly i think once we hit the stage where we are at that point we'd open source it in uh, more more likely on the mit license relative to the gpl license because i just want to be clear because like there there's definitely some nuance here right like the mit license allows someone to take the software that you have fork it and make changes to it and then close source it and not necessarily contribute those changes back to the, you know, if there are improvements or things that they do that they build off of that like actually directly are contributions to that code base, they don't have to give it back. Whereas GPL, they have to give it back. And if the, and if the, if the way that they use the software is actually like embedded as a part of the current stack, then they have to open source the entire code base. Now, a good, a good way to look at this is like, Olaplex built an indexer, right? It indexes data on Solana. 
and it's open source. It's GPL licensed, right? All of all of the graph is GPL licensed, right? And they're an index. They have you know decentralized indexing network. If I build an application that talks to that indexer and it all it does is get data from it, then my application doesn't need to be open source because it's not actually like directly integrating the code base of the indexer inside the app. It's kind of a weird thing for people to understand, but like it's important to, because. There are cases when strategically it does make sense, I think, to, to use a GPL license, especially like the protocol layer. Like I kind of think I would argue that those that protocols like really need to be GPL licensed because it protects the community. Right. These are like public goods that are supposed to be available. And if someone can just like fork it and customize it and close source it, then that's kind of counter to the to the intent. I, would that, I mean, that, 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 that's that's true, and that makes a lot of sense. The flip side is also true in that, like, often a lot of projects, for example, you know, when you're talking about UI libraries like React, Vue, all of those aren't GPL. They're, like, just, like, MIT or some other version of that. They've thrived as well in terms of, in terms of just, like, uh, you know, distribution. I don't think we covered this yet, but, like, what's the Genesis story? Like, how did you guys even come up with this idea and begin building it? Well, I was at the Ethereum Foundation with uh, my co-founder, Leonard. He and I, we were both based out of Singapore. So he and I, we used to work on different side projects. Taurus was something a little bit different at that point in time. So Taurus is kind of like a donut shape, right? Or a ring shape. The project previously was kind of like an information marketplace, where we would try to use this construct called ring signatures, which basically has a property which allows any participant in the ring signature to be able to sign the ring signature, but you wouldn't be able to know who out of that group actually signed it. So for example, I could use this to sign with with, with the employees of, of, of the Tesla factory floor and say, perhaps we're not going to hit the quarterly targets, right? And I could basically whistleblow or sell that information. And that was what it was initially. Uh, Nobody cared. (laughs) Nobody liked that idea for good reason. It was really just something fun for us to do. But in building that, we had to build kind of like a identity layer, so to speak. Because not everybody has public-private key pairs that we could utilize, right? So we needed a way to very easily distribute public-private key pairs. Seed phrases kind of was a sucky way because it wasn't just completely anonymous. There was no kind of like identity link. But using OAuth, which was Web2 identities, to kind of like try to secure a public-private key pair and manage that allowed a user to not just secure their public-private key pair, but also on their own jurisdiction and on their own choice, choose to link your public-private key pair back to the OAuth, which basically essentially allows for other things like user pools and uh, backend authentication. You see sign-in of Ethereum becoming very popular. It's the same construct, sign-in with, sign in with like Web3, basically. That's where everybody liked that. Everybody liked, liked using a Google account to, not a Google account, but just any social existing experience to access a new application. Very early on, there were some haters though. You know, there's always that very anarchist side of crypto, which basically hates anything to do with any central institution, be it like, be it like a bank or like a, 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 any tech organization that's like, boo. And I mean, it, it's important to have those sentiments, but some of them hold those sentiments very, very strongly. 
But I mean, the, you, you've always the other side, which is kind of like, oh yeah, we need this for more adoption. And I think that's the side that we more represent and we more push forward with. If you talk to any major brand right now that is looking to get into crypto or looking to get into NFTs, they're all going to tell you they're trying to onboard Web2 users who know nothing about crypto or key management or like barely even know what an NFT is. And in order to onboard them, you need good onboarding flows that hide like these these brands, they like want to leverage Web3 and the, and the values that it espouses, but they don't want to like bother the user out of the gate with like something like key management or education around what a wallet is. They all do want to provide good off ramps and enable self custody solutions for those who are ready for that and know how to use those, you know, those products and tools. I mean, I think that's the happy middle ground. And it's like you get people bought in with some of this web two stuff, but it still has the path to, full, you know, fully decentralized open source self-custody. I think that's good. I mean, you guys open sourced a lot of the key management stuff too, which I think is probably for security reasons so people can trust how it works, which I think is really important. So I don't know. It's not, we're all still trying to figure out how to, how to get there too. There's like a lot of experimentation needed. And I just think people need to be open to, to, to doing that, to experimenting and trying new things and seeing what actually works. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that sentiment isn't nearly as strong as it was kind of like two or three years ago. But yeah, no, I definitely agree with you, <laughs> of course. What's next for Taurus? Uh, well, I keep saying Taurus, Web3 off. <laughs> like, what's next for you guys? We actually have an infrastructure upgrade on the way. We're actually making it permissionless, and there will be incentives baked around it. I don't know if it's the right time to launch a token, but our infrastructure needs an upgrade. Right now, we're at about 15 million users or so. Our system is designed to take like 200 million. As in, you always need to be prepared for a magnitude higher. And last year, we were at like 2 million, so or 1 million. <laughs> so like we've grown 15 times, same time last year. So we're due for an infrastructure upgrade, and that's the main driver for this. That's one of the largest things on our roadmap right now today. We've also got interesting things on the product side. We've been beta testing social recovery, and social recovery is... Uh, Having friends and family help you secure your poly private key pair. We're having like face slash touch ID coming out as well, as well as some of these other factors on the product side. There's going to be more security upgrades with regards to some of the MPC features with the new infrastructure coming out. So a lot of like things to be kind of like excited about. Some of the upgrades are on ease of use. We're having quite close integrations with like, for example, Firebase, Officer, Amazon Cognito some of the older, I mean, more web two centric login providers. We're also coming up with like dashboards. Oh, one of the more recent things that is being pushed out is we're coming up with a, we've been pushing the specification for signing of Solana and we're doing the same for some of the other chains as well. So sign in with Starkware, sign in with Polkadot and as well as just basically an overall package to do sign-in of Web3, really, because I think people have been asking for it. So yeah, that's been big on the agenda. Awesome. We're getting close to like the top of the show here, and I kind of always ask um, every guest, you know, what, what have I asked you that you wanted to talk about or that, that I should have asked? No, I think you more or less covered it, to be honest. 
Thanks for having me. And I've enjoyed speaking to you as usual, Alex, actually. Yeah, awesome, man. It's been great. Thanks so much. Cheers. You just heard the Index Podcast with your host, Alex Kahaya. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a five-star rating and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every other Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.